And we're going to read from Luke chapter 10, please. Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matthew, Mark, Luke. New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at verse, chapter 10, verses uh, 30 through 35. 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, and 35. When you get there, you'll find these words. Since you're standing, you want to read it with me? Okay, well, let's all read together, but you got to read like a preacher. Okay, all right, well, let's read together. Verse 30 35, ready, read. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I will repay you. Today I'm talking on the subject, Jesus heals broken hearts. Jesus heals broken hearts. Father, today we thank you for your word. I pray that God, you give me divine utterance and divine unction, that your people would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive the word of God. We bind every demonic force, every distraction that the enemy would try to bring to stop the word from going forth. We bind even doctors of devils and seducing spirits that would try to unteach what you are teaching today through the word of God. Thank you that the atmosphere is clear and conducive for the word of God to flow freely. God, have your way. Have free course in this place and be glorified among your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Jesus heals broken hearts. Last Sunday, we preached a message entitled, Jesus is the only way. We looked at John 14 and verse 6 where Jesus says, I am, using definite articles, the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth. But he said something in that, in that part that we didn't emphasize. He said, I am the life. I am the life. So life is found in Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Real life is found in Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 10, 10, over in the Amplified Classic translation, it says it this way. It says, Jesus says, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. Come on. I came that they might have life and, have, and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full. Come on. Till it overflows. So notice he says in John 14, 6, I am the life. Over here 
in John 10, 10, he says, I came that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. So life is found in Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Now you and I in this place, we often celebrate the B clause of that, that he said, I came that you might, may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. But the reality of it is most people in the world are still stuck in the A clause where the thief is stealing and killing and destroying. They're struggling in the world to find hope. They're struggling to find peace. They're struggling to find strength just to make it each day. Now, some of you in here may even fit that category. Many are searching for one good reason just to wake up tomorrow. The truth is that there are people all over the world, people in our midst, people in our, on our street, people who work in our jobs who are slowly dying of a broken heart. Have you ever seen it? See people just sort of withering away. You know, a tree of, if, a, if a tree branch um, is somehow injured, the tree branch doesn't wither away suddenly. When, when, the, when, the, life, when the life flow is disrupted to that limb, to that branch, it, it's going to wither and it's going to die, but it's a slow process. Which is why it was so amazing, so astonishing to the disciples in Mark 11 when Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree and they said, how is it, and we read in Mark's, in Matthew's account actually, they, they said, how is it that the fig tree you curse is withered away so soon? Because withering is not a quick process. Withering is a slow, gradual process. Oh my God. There are people who are sitting in church and wither and don't even realize they're withering. Because withering is a gradual, very slow process. And what happens is they don't, they don't understand that they have been injured in some way. Whether it's been a real injury or they have taken offense in some way and they begin to wither away and die. And because it's such a gradual, slow process, they don't know how to recuperate from that. And so people are dying slowly of broken hearts. And I want to let you know that, the, that Jesus said the thief is the one who comes to steal and kill or destroy. Which means the thief, the devil, is the one that's behind every broken heart. Can you say amen? He's the one behind busted marriages. He's the one behind broken homes. He's the force behind wayward children. The devil's the force behind drug addiction. He's the force behind alcoholism. He's the one behind your dashed hopes and your shattered dreams. The devil's the one behind broken promises. He's the one behind busted careers. He's the one behind failed businesses. He's the one behind every evil work in the earth. He's the one that causes people to be miserable in their lives. The devil's behind it all. God is a good God. I said God is a good God. And if people are experiencing evil and trouble and trials and tribulation, the devil's the one behind it because he's trying to break their hearts. And why would the devil try to break someone's heart? Because he knows that a person with a broken heart is barely hanging on for dear life. And a person with a broken heart is vulnerable. They're susceptible. Easy targets for the enemy because he's already got a hold of them. Now 
He wants to go in for the final kill and take them out. We, on our sign out front, we put this slogan on the sign here for the, for the month of March that Jesus heals broken hearts. If you notice, it followed the month of February when people were all about love and there are people who came out of February with broken hearts. Because they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't find, they were looking for love and didn't find love and looking for real love and couldn't find real love. And the one they thought that, lo that loved them, turns out they didn't actually love them, they loved themselves. And they, 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 they looked for their mother and their father and their mother and fa their father forsook them and brother and sister didn't want to be around and, and the failed, failed businesses and failed uh, events and all kind of dreams and things have, have failed and, 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 and their hearts are broken and when, when your heart is broken you're in a place of vulnerability and if you don't ever get your heart fixed then the devil knows he can come in with one fatal blow and take you out. But I can't let you know today that Jesus Christ heals broken hearts. Tell your neighbor, Jesus heals broken hearts. He, the devil knows that when your heart is broken, when your spirit is broken, you're barely hanging on. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 13, it says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So the devil wants to always bring about some reason for sorrow to be in your heart. Because if he can get sorrow to fill your heart, sorrow to be sorry about how yesterday went and sorry about how your lives have gone, to, to be sorry about what things you've lost, to be sorry about what things you left behind, to be sorry about who left you, to be sorry about how things turned out in your life. Because when sorrow comes in, it says the spirit is broken. Proverbs 17, 22 goes on to say this. It says a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Now, I don't want, I don't want to uh, put anybody on the spot. Anybody ever had your heart broken? And it doesn't have to be by a boyfriend, a girlfriend, by a husband, or by a wife. It could have been by your father who abandoned you at an early age. It could have been by a mother who just neglected you. It could have been by a best friend who just found somebody else that was more interesting than you. It could have been by anything. It could have been by a job that you really wanted to have. And you apply for that job. And you apply for this job. And you spent four years getting your degree so you can go in this field. And now can't find a job in your field. And your paper means nothing. And what happens is you don't realize it, but you have a broken heart. You, when, you, when you feel like you're stuck in the mud, it's because you have a broken heart. When you feel like you, can't, you can barely lift your head, it's because the truth is you have a broken heart and you've not had it dealt with yet. I want you to look at Psalm 69 in your Bible, Psalm 69. Psalm 69, I'm going to look at verses 19 and 20. Psalm 69, verses 19 and 20. Let me know when you get there by saying amen. All right, that's two. Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. Right after Job, right before Proverbs. Psalms, are you there? Psalm number 69, verses 19 and 20. Listen to what the psalmist says here. He says, you know my reproach. Reproach is when things look bad on you. 
Reproach is when things look bad on you. You ever seen anybody look like, like they're just shooting bad? Yes. Let me ask y'all quiet over here. Anybody yes. ever seen anybody look like they're just shooting bad? Yes. Now I'm going to ask y'all to be extra honest. Have you ever been shooting bad yourself? Yes. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. You know how folk are looking down on me because of where I am. My adversaries are all before you. Now notice what he goes on to say in verse 20. He says, reproach has broken my heart. And I am full, watch this, of heaviness. The result of a broken heart is a heaviness. The Bible calls it in Isaiah 61, the spirit of heaviness. And if you've ever had your heart broken, there are people I pray for each day. There are people I pray for in my family, people I pray for in the ministry. And I know the issue with them is that they've had their hearts broken and they're heavy. And they can't function. And you, you, you come and you say hello and they can hardly say hello. And, you know, they're just... Oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. And you know, you're not okay. You need to deal with that. You're, if people can't smile, listen, if you're a believer in the house of God and you, you're not smiling all the time, well, pastor, well, nobody should be smiling all the time. Well, do tell. And you have the joy of the Lord on the inside of you. And you save and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and walking with Jesus and you know you're on your way to heaven and God's blessing you. You can't smile all the time. If you can't smile all the time, it's because you have a heaviness that's weighing down on you. Y'all ain't got to ask me back. I, I can answer myself back this morning. I got, I got a couple amens in my pocket. I got a couple right here. People got to, listen, if, if the praise team has to make you praise, I better come back over here. If they have to pull a praise out of you. See, he says in Isaiah 61 that he gives us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, which means that praise and heaviness don't coexist. So if you have a hard time praising, it's because heaviness is on you. He says here, reproach is broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. Now, if you've never been there, just look straight ahead. And notice this when he's in this place of heaviness, ladies and gentlemen. He says, I looked for someone to take pity. Oh. When I'm in my heavy place, when I'm in my miserable state, when I'm in my having my pity party, I'm looking for somebody. I'm trying to invite somebody into my pity party. When I'm feeling sad and blue, I'm looking for somebody else who will take pity on me, who will feel sorry for me. But there was none. I couldn't find anybody who just feels sorry. I couldn't feel, find anybody who just sympathize with me. I couldn't find anybody who just say, oh, I know what you're going through. He says, and I look for comforters, 
but I found none. Look at this. Somebody, just somebody comfort me. Somebody just make me feel better. The Bible even talks about in Proverbs that when you, when you sing a song to a, somebody with a sorrow heart, it's like just being a curse to them. When you heavy and somebody comes along to my, come on, sing. And it's just, it's just, it's just, well, because it's, 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 it's a heaviness. And again, Isaiah 61 calls it a spirit of heaviness, which means there's a demonic spirit, an oppressive spirit that's behind it that is trying to hold you down to keep you from shouting, to keep you from praising, to keep you from dancing, to keep you from rejoicing because he knows that if you shout, he has to scoop. Hallelujah. Reproach, shame, and dishonor cause heartbreak and heaviness. The question is, how do you function in life when you're weighed down? How do you hold your head up when there's no real joy, no real peace? When you're oppressed, because oppression leads to depression. The truth is, remember he said, I've looked for someone to pity me. I looked for someone to comfort me, but I couldn't find anybody. And the truth is, you'll never actually find true pity or find true comfort in any person. The truth is, it's hard for them to comfort you because they're dealing with their own issues. While you're looking for them to pity you, they're looking for somebody to pity them. That's why it turns into a pity party because both of y'all are pitying together. But there is somebody who sees you and cares about you. Tell, tell your neighbor, somebody sees you and cares about you, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 18, Psalm 34, verse 18 says this, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. If your heart's been broken, God is near to you. The Lord is near to you, and he's near, and he's standing by ready to raise you up. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. Hallelujah. Jesus heals broken hearts. Jesus heals broken hearts. In Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2, the psalmist David says this, Hear my cry, O God. I know you've never had to cry. <laughs> Sometimes physical pain will make you cry. Sometimes emotional pain will make you cry. He says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. Verse 2, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. Here's my request. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. Come on, saints. That is higher. There's a place where God can take you, where he can elevate you to, where he can raise you up, where now you're not down in the dumps. God doesn't want you and me living down in the dumps. He wants us standing up on a rock. The devil wants you down in the dumps, but Jesus Christ will set you up on a rock. And I have news for you, that rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus. 
And he's the healer of broken hearts. Can you say amen? amen. Luke chapter 4, please. Luke 4. Luke 4. I want you to see and know that he's the healer of broken hearts. And no matter what the devil has done in your life, no matter what he's destroyed, no matter what he's busted, Jesus Christ can heal your heart. God doesn't want you to stay there. I said God doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to have that broken heart the rest of your life. Hallelujah. He wants you healed and healthy and whole. Walking in the joy of the Lord. In Luke 4, we see where Jesus Christ, he comes and he's been, you know, baptized by John. He has been tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And he returns in what the Bible calls the power of the spirit, or he returns in the anointing. And we see down here in verse 18 of Luke 4. In fact, can I start at verse 16, please? Verse 16 says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Verse 17 says, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So he's about to read from the Bible or from the Holy Scriptures that they had. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he's reading something that's written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has graced me. He has empowered me. He has enabled me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I've preached that before. I've preached that before. That the, the, the first order of business in Jesus' ministry was to get poor people out of poverty. But the devil knows that if you are impoverished, it'll break your heart. In fact, if you were to go back and visit the book of Exodus chapter 3 and you see where God says, I've seen the affliction of my people. That word affliction literally means the, the, the uh, poverty, misery, the affliction, poverty, and misery of my people. Because poverty is miserable. Poverty will break your heart. Y'all help me out today. Nobody planned on being poor. Nobody knew that their marriage was going to split. Nobody knew that their parents were going to leave them. Nobody knew that their job was, was going to work out. Nobody knew that their business was going to fail. Nobody planned on being stuck. And poverty is miserable. But there's another thing that I want you to see, the second thing he said here. He said, he has sent me what, to do what now? To heal. To heal who? He has sent me to heal. Now, this anointing is on him. And he said that anointing, with that anointing, I've been sent to heal the brokenhearted. Now, you would, you would think, I mean, and religious people often, often have this mindset that Jesus doesn't deal with poverty. He doesn't deal with emotions. He only deals with spiritual things. That he only saves and gets you ready to go to heaven. But the first two things we read here in this passage is that he deals with people's poverty. 
that's physical, that's financial, and he deals with people's emotions. Well, you shouldn't be emotional. I understand that your emotions should not control you, but you need to be healed in your emotions. Jesus, when he came, he knew the destruction that the devil had already caused. In fact, in 1 John, I believe in chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says this. It says, for this purpose was a son of God manifested that he should destroy the works of the devil. He knew what the devil had done already. He knew how much damage the devil had done to people's lives and their hearts. And he said that anointing is only to heal the brokenhearted. Now, I want to point something out to you that if you have in your hands or in your library an NIV, a message, a a, a uh, new living translation, you have uh, very, uh, any other modern translation, you'll notice in your Bibles that this line does not exist. Oh, y'all. Did, did that startle anybody? Y'all just, do you even care that I said that? That this line that he sent me to heal the brokenhearted does not exist in those new translations. Now, I want to remind you of, well, let me, let me inform you of something. One, it's, if you look at the Greek text, where they translate it from, that line is in the Greek text. If you pull your concordance out, you'll see the words. In fact, I'm going to give you the word in there. But secondly, even if you didn't know Greek text, if you read verse 17, verse 17 says, He opened the book to the book of Isaiah and he read from Isaiah. So he was reading from the book of Isaiah. So meaning if you'll put up Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 and 2 because this is what he's reading. He's reading Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. And in Isaiah 61 verse 1, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or the good news or the gospel to the poor. Look at, look at verse 1. He has sent me to heal. Now, if you read the NIV, NLT, Living, uh, any of the modern translations, if they go back to, if you see Isaiah 61 in those translations, it still has this line in it. So do pray tell, tell me why you get to the New Testament and you take out the same line that you did include in the Old Testament. Let me take it out here. Because they know, the devil knows that many, most Christians don't bother to read the Old Testament. When they see, oh, he read from the book of Isaiah, they don't even go back and see what he read. They don't have time. They're, tr- they're trying to read and be done so I can go and eat, drink my coffee, eat my donut, and go to work. And people don't actually study the Bible to actually go back and see what it said he read from that. I mean, y'all remember a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago when I read from, we preached with John 3, and Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we had to go back to Numbers 21 and find out what was he talking about. I mean, if you're going to read the Bible, study the Bible. So, in these modern translations, New Testament, they take out this line that he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, yet Jesus is reading it directly from Isaiah 61. Because the devil knows that if you don't have your heart healed, you can't receive prosperity. 
You can't receive your physical healing. You can't receive your deliverance because your heart is broken. Your spirit is broken. Your bones will be dried up. And no matter how much somebody preaches to you, thank you, Holy Spirit. Remember, do you remember in the book of Exodus, I believe it's around chapter 6 or so, somewhere in there, where when Moses goes back to the people in, in Egypt, to the children of Israel in Egypt, and he makes the announcement again, hey, I'm here to deliver you. God has sent me to deliver you from Pharaoh to take you into, into a promised land. And the Bible says the people could not receive what he said because they had, I'm going to put in my word, broken hearts. They were so grieved, so beaten down, they couldn't receive a word of deliverance because their hearts were broken from 400 years of toil, 400 years of pain, 400 years of family separation, 400 years of suffering, and their hearts are broken so much so they couldn't receive the word. I, I, bet, I better say this for another day. So if your heart is broken, it doesn't matter how much Pastor John and Pastor Kim keep preaching this good, juicy word, you just can't receive it. And I, I know we're preaching some juicy word. I don't care what you say. This is some juicy word we're preaching here. Scrum delicious word. Mwah. And yet, if you find yourself still stuck in the same position or the same condition today as you were 10 years ago when you first came here, 5 years ago when you first came here, 20 years ago when you first came here, the problem ain't the seed, the problem is the ground. Oh my. The problem is not the seed, the problem is the ground. Jesus said so. Matthew 13, he said so. Luke 8, he said so. Mark 4, he said so. So it's, it's, it's understandable then why the enemy wants to take this line out about your heart being healed. Thank you, Lord. In Acts 10, 38, some of you know Acts 10, 38. Are y'all okay? Yeah. Acts 10.38, the Bible says how God, this is Peter preaching at Cornelius' house. Y'all remember that, Peter and Cornelius? And he, in the midst of his message, he says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and doing what? healing all who are oppressed by the devil for God was with them. So he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Now this word healing is the same word as heal in Luke 4.18. The exact same Greek word. I'm going to try to pronounce it. You can help me. It's a very weird looking word. Look, look at what it means when it says to heal the brokenhearted. Heal those who are oppressed by the devil. It means to cure, to heal, to make whole, 
watch this, to free from errors and sins to bring about one's salvation. To deliverance. To deliver you from whatever had your heart broken and had you down. And the Bible says that he's anointed to do that. Somebody say he's anointed to do that. In fact, I contend that he's the only one anointed to do that. This world can't do it. Y'all didn't hear me. You can, you can, you can subscribe to BetterHelp.com. You can visit your local root lady. You can visit your local tarot card reader. You can go to the, to the, down to the downtown St. Pete in the midst of all the brouhaha and visit the rock and the crystal store and try to find the right crystals to put in your home to find healing. Try to burn the right sage. Get the right bees and the right rocks. You can get the right bowl and make the right frequencies. But all you're doing is, is re-injuring your heart because you're, uh, you're opening your portal to the one who caused the heartbreak in the first place. They, they, y'all, y'all get quiet when I talk about something like that. And the devil, Tricky, Tricky D, likes to get people. He's a trickster. He likes to get people to try to find their healing in human means. Because he knows there is no anointing on the human means. And if you tap into the human means, you open a portal for the demonic means, and the, dem- the, the, de- the demonic is anointed, but it's the anti-anointing. Whereas the anointing of God does you good and makes you glad, the anointing of the enemy does you bad and makes you sad. It's the antichrist spirit. I wish I had a, a praying church today. I- And, and he wants you to try to find it in a drink. So you're going to sip a little bit and put back some wine because the wine is going to settle my nerves. Wine, 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 wine. You're just going to be a wine. Oh, whining in the back room. Wine and wine, wine, wine. Lord. It's just going to make you wine more. That's all it's going to do. All I'm going to do is make you whine. Woe is me. Isn't that the 27th proverb or 28th proverb, 27, something like that man who, who gets beaten up? Like the one laying on a mass of the ship, he gets beaten up and don't even realize what's happening to him. He wakes up and says, where can I get more wine? <laughs> Trying to find your help. Tears in your beard, trying to find help from the beer. Survey some. It's not going to help. Tell your neighbor, it's not going to help you. You don't need another sad song. 
because sad songs don't heal broken hearts. Sad songs just continue to rip that heart even more. It makes you dwell on the negative. It should have been me standing there. And How could you let me go and all that kind of stuff? Certainly, weed ain't going to help it. Weed won't help it. and Opioids won't help it. Another relationship won't help it. Because if you have a broken heart and take that broken heart, oh man, oh man, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. If you have a broken heart and take that broken heart into a new relationship, you're going to now have another broken hearted relationship and the person going to be there trying to figure out how come you can't smile, how come you can't just accept them, the love they're trying to give you, and they don't realize you came here with a broken heart, you never got healed, you just jumped into the next bed. And the next bed won't heal you. I don't care what Marvin Gaye say, ain't no sexual healing when your heart is broken. But you can't fix it. Isn't that, isn't that what a good grandma does? Baby, baby, you look like you ain't been eating, baby. Baby, life's wearing on you, baby. Come and sit down. Now, that's the old, now these new grandmas, they ain't, they ain't doing that. Anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about old, old grandmas back, back in the day. Big mama them. They, granny. These new grandmas, they just. You better go in there and zap you some oatmeal. Huh? <laughs> some cereal, yeah, right. Go to Luke 10. Go to, go to Luke 10, our main story, and then we can, we can see this. You can see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus. Luke 10, I want to look at a story in the word of God that reveals the compassion of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I contend that Jesus 
when he tells this parable, it's a double entendre. And he's, he's, he's one showing us, um, because he's answering some religious folk, and he's answering them and showing them what a good neighbor looks like. But I also contend he's showing a picture of himself. And in, in, in Luke 10, verse 30 is where we, we're looking at today, right? A man had asked Jesus, you know, who was your neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus starts with this parable. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So notice the scenario here. We see this peril, parable, certain man, says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling. And notice it says he fell among thieves. He fell among thieves. The, the route he was traveling, he wasn't anticipating this. This was Something of a surprise attack. He was ambushed by the enemy. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which meant he was going somewhere. He was on his way somewhere. He had intended business down there, which meant he wasn't just out lalagagging, wasting time. He was on his way somewhere. And when you are on your way somewhere, you went to school, got your high school diploma, you might have gone and gotten a trade or some technical skill, or you might have gone and gotten your four-year degree, a six-year degree, or an eight-year degree, or whatever you got, and, or you might have become a CEO of some company, or you were going along, or, or you fell in love in 10th grade, and you found the perfect one, and you planned on being married, and you're going to be married the rest of your life, and you know, you got married and went half on a baby, and, and everything's working out, and now we got two or three kids, and, and a house, and a car, and, a, and, and two dogs, and a, and a cat, and, and everything, you're going down. You're, you're going, you're, you're, you're on your way somewhere and we, we, I'm, I'm going to retire when I turn 52 or 65 and then we're going we to travel all over the world. You're going down, you're on your way somewhere. You've you got plans, you have dreams, you have hopes, you have a vision, you have ideas, you have, you have your whole life planned out, you're all your life goal and, and all of a sudden while you're on your way, bam! You fell among thieves. Here comes the devil, the thief, and all of his minions. And you weren't planning. You, you got married. You said in sickness and health, but you didn't plan on the sickness. 
You said for rich or for poor, but you aren't really expecting the poor. basis, nobody in this room would say I'm exactly where I figured I'd be right now. I can guarantee you, I mean you may not have known where you're going to be, but you certainly, I guarantee you, you planned on being a little farther ahead. Can I get a witness in here? You planned on being a little farther ahead. And listen, God was on your side and you were on your way. You were on, tell your neighbor, you were on your way. You were on your way somewhere, but you fell among thieves. You had a plan, had a schedule, had a dream, had a vision. I, was, I grew up in a wonderful household, wonderful parents, served the Lord. I did well in school. I was, I was Mr. Everything in elementary and middle school and got to high school and academically talented. That's how I met Pastor Kim and got in this place and you know, just all that, you know, great stuff. And man, I'm going somewhere, man. I'm going off to Florida State University, boy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live, boy, I'm gonna, boy, I'm gonna be, be this and be that. And bam, my parents passed away. Well, what happened? What, 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 what was that? That's my mom first, and then two years later, my, my dad. Wait, what? what? I, I, didn't, I didn't see that coming. And I'm, I'm working and trying. I mean, I'm, I'm in school doing well. And all of a sudden, they say, you, you got to get a job. Get a job. I mean, I'm, I'm in the IB program. You can't have no job in the IB program. You got you to gotta study. You got to get a full-time job and work, son. You got to what? What? And I remember, I remember applying to Florida State and them sending my letter saying, you have been accepted into Florida State University. That was my dream, Dick Gershaw. My dream to go off to Florida State University and be a Seminole. But life hit me. I fell among thieves. Dreams were dashed. Hopes shattered. Because now I find myself in a place. How, how do I get up from here? And I couldn't get up. This man was on his way somewhere. See, I don't want you to think of this guy as just some buster, some bum. He was a man on his way somewhere. With dreams and goals and a vision and business 
and ideals and a plan and a schedule and desires. But when you fall among thieves, the thieves come to snatch everything from you. And when they do, they don't just take things. They come to take your life. They come... Because Jesus said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's not coming just to steal. He wants to destroy you. The Bible says this man, are y'all okay? He fell among thieves who, notice the Bible says, look, look at the description how, how he ends up who stripped him of his clothing. So he's stripped. He's wounded. I mean, they didn't have to wound him, did they? I mean, it's thieves. They didn't say he, he, he ran into a thief. It says he ran into thieves, which means he's, he's already outnumbered. You ain't got to wound me. Look, you, if I run into five of y'all, I ain't going to fight your back. Matter of fact, if I run into one of y'all with a pistol, I ain't going to fight your back. Because you and everything in that chamber outnumber me. I ain't going to fight you back. But, you know, you, did you have to wound me? See, they, they stripped him, which means, to strip him of his clothing, which means, means he had on some Jordans. Y'all ain't saying nothing. He, 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 had, he had on some Gucci, some Gucci sneakers. He had on, he, he had on nice, because if he don't have on nice clothes, why, why are you, you going to take his clothes? See, I want you to see this, this wasn't just some bum. This was a man about business. He had something desirable. That, see, that's why some of you, why, why, you better understand why you have some folk in your school or in your neighborhood who don't like you because they, it's not that they don't like you, it's that they don't like how their lives may be, so they want to take from you what you have because they don't want you to have it. And, They stripped him of his clothing. You stripped me of my clothing, now I have no dignity. He stripped of his self-esteem. He stripped of his dignity. He stripped of his privacy. He stripped of all that matters to him. They stripped him of his clothing. And then they wounded him. They wounded him, hurt him. This is a physical hurt. He's beaten down. And, and then it says, and they departed, leaving him half dead, barely hanging on for dear life. That's the enemy's goal. He wants to leave you half dead. He wants to strip you. He wants to wound you. And then he's going to leave you half dead. That's his goal. But here's the, the flip side of that. Is that he's a dummy. Because half dead means I'm actually half alive. I wish I had more witnesses, just two witnesses here. 
I got my two witnesses here. See, if you have dead, you still have life. And if the Bible says among the living, there is still hope. It's better to be a live dog than to be a dead lion because among the living, there is still and you might be down and under might be down and out with one eye open, one nose, one nostril above the water, but there's still hope for you. I might be down, but I'm not out. But I'm stripped. And I'm wounded. And I've been wounded so badly that I'm half dead, which means I don't have the strength. I'm still alive. I want you to see this man hanging on for dear life. I want you to hear him whimpering because he's on an abandoned road. There's nobody around. Sometimes people suffer in silence because nobody is there. I look for someone to pity me, and there was nobody. I look for somebody to comfort me, and there was nobody. I'm stripped down to nothing. So none of y'all know what it is to be stripped down to nothing. Wounded and half dead. But oh, here comes a priest. Surely, here comes the, the religious man. He's going to help me. But the Bible says the religious man saw him and went over on the other side. He avoided contact. So this man is still stuck, stripped, wounded, half dead, and can't find pity and can't find comfort. Oh, well, here comes a Levite. Surely the Levite, oh, wait, wait, oh, he's actually coming near me. He's actually, oh, here, the lead, see, the, the priest, the Bible says the priest saw him and went on the other side. But it says the Levite, when he arrived, came and looked. Well, I wish y'all would grab a hold of this. Come on, open your imagination. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. The, the priest saw him and kept going. But the Levite said, hmm. Well, look at that. What happened to you? Oh, you must have been some low-down scoundrel. You probably got what you had coming. Did your Bible say the Levite came and looked? He actually expected. Oh, boy. You bad on. And then he passed by on the other side. Now, I want y'all to cut the priest and leave out a little bit of slack. One is a naked man right there. Two, 
he's wounded. Three, he's half dead, which means he probably looked lifeless to them. As priests and Levites, they were not permitted to touch any dead thing. I need you to cut them some slack. But they, their, their religiosity, their protocol, their, their rules got in the way of compassion. But let's cut them some slack. Because perhaps in their minds, Laquanda, the priest and the Levite both thought, this man is half dead, is hopeless. There's nothing I can do about it anyway. So I, I'm trying to get to my destination, so I'm just going to keep on going because I, I can't help him anyway. Or two, maybe, maybe they saw the man and looked at the situation and thought, wait a minute. We better not deal with that because he's been robbed. And if there's thieves that robbed him, there's a good chance. Cut him some slack now because although they see the man, the Levi even came and looked. And the Levite might have even asked, what happened to you? And he might have said, thieves got me. And he probably said, thieves. Oh, Lord. Which meant, if that were the case, that they weren't willing to risk their lives to help him. But then along comes what the Bible calls a Samaritan. And a Samaritan comes down the same road. Travels the same road on his way somewhere just like they're on the way somewhere. But he sees the man and he had compassion on him. Now let me help somebody who's a good Bible student because you're saying well, see, that's not Jesus because he was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. Okay. A Samaritan is a half Jew. You'll get it by Thursday. A Samaritan is a half Jew. Let me help you because Thursday is going to take too long. Jesus was a half Jew. He was only Jewish on his mama's side. On his daddy's side, he was divine. Boy, that just helped somebody right there. He was only half Jewish. So that's why I told you it's a double entendre. It's a double picture here. He's showing you what a, what a good neighbor looks like, but he's showing you he is the good neighbor. I am the good neighbor. I am the one that's anointed to heal the brokenhearted. I am the one who is anointed to bind up your wounds. I am the one who is anointed to restore your life. I am the one who's anointed to bring you out and bring you up. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now remember, remember what happened now. This Samaritan, the Bible says, look, look, at, look at verse 33. 
Are you there? We're almost done. Boy, look, good gracious. Psalm uh, 33, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, notice again, he came where he was. Jesus was in heaven. But he came where we are. He could have stayed in heaven and spent all of eternity there. But he saw us over the balcony of heaven. He saw us wounded. He saw us stripped. He saw us naked. He saw us half dead. He saw us beaten down. He saw us broken hearted. He saw us helpless. He saw us hopeless. He saw us in, in this place where we couldn't raise ourselves up. And he said, Father, prepare me a body so I can go down to where they are. And he came down into the earth. Now notice the priests, the Levite, they weren't overcome by compassion. They were overcome either by being just so turned off by what they saw or fear of what could happen, fear of what would happen if they risked their own lives to help this man. Jesus said in John 15, 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So Jesus came to lay his life down, which meant he came here knew, knowing the risks. You remember, thank you, Holy Spirit. Man, this is so good. In the fourth chapter of John, y'all got a few minutes. In the fourth chapter of John, when they came to Jesus Christ, I love this story. They came and said to Jesus, they said, hey, Jesus, they sent him a message. They said, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, the one you love, is dead. Or he's, he's sick. Jesus, the one you love is sick. And Jesus said, okay. And the Bible says he stayed two more days where he was. He didn't, he didn't go anywhere. And then they came and said, hey, uh, Lazarus, uh, he's, he's about to die. And he, he said, okay. He told the disciples, he said, okay, let's, let's get up and let's go down to Bethany where Lazarus is. The disciples' response was this. They said, but Jesus, they want to kill you there. He said, let's go. Y'all missed that. They said, Jesus, they want to kill you there. We can't go there. They want to kill you. We can't go help him. They want to kill you. If you go to help him, you're going to lose your life. Jesus said, let's go. Mount up. Let's ride. That's the one who loves your soul. That's the one who loves your soul. That's the one that we praise. That's the one we worship. That's the one we serve, the one who sees you where you are and will risk everything he has and say, let's go. You keep reading John 4. The John 4 the disciples said, well, let's, let's all go die with him. Because they knew if he goes there, he's going to die. But he said, let's go. So this Samaritan, who's in the same peril, 
the same danger the Bible says he had compassion. Let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up here. It says, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds. He bandaged his wounds. He, he bandaged the man's wounds. Okay? Now, help me out. Now, where did he get the bandages from? He wasn't a medic. Where did he get them from? Whose clothes? His own clothes. Because the man didn't have any more clothes. Which meant this Samaritan had to rip his own clothes up. He sacrificed what he had to care for somebody else. I wish y'all would say hallelujah. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, if you don't think about the, the things of the spirit, oil and wine both represent the spirit of God, the anointing, the anointing. In Psalm 147, verse 3, it says this, the Lord heals the broken heart, hearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So he binds his wounds, pours on oil and wine. Then watch what he does. Set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but if he set the man on his animal, that means he's walking now. This is, this is how much he loves us. This is how much he wants you healed. Then it says he brought him to an inn and took care of him. I contend that the inn is the church. Because when you get healed, you got to go to a place where you can recover. He didn't just bandage him. He didn't just pour an oil and wine. He didn't just set him on his beast. But he brought him to the inn. And in the end, he himself took care of him. Jesus said, upon this rock, I build my church. So he established a church. But he had to leave. Did he have to leave? And the disciples knew that when he left, he said, I'm coming back. And your Bible says that on the next day, verse 35, when he departed, he then took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. I contend the innkeeper is the pastor. Tell your neighbor, you need a pastor. Tell somebody that you need a pastor. 
all this foolishness people have out there in the world, you don't need no pastor, I can just be out there. No, no, that ain't how it works. That ain't ever how it works. You need a pastor. He gives you a pastor to carry on the caring of the wounded. So he brings you to the inn and gives the innkeeper the job of caring for you. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews that you must submit to those who have a rule over you and esteem those who have a rule over you knowing that they care for your souls. Your pastors care for your souls. Why? Because we've been obligated. He's leaving and he says, now you keep taking care of him. You take care of him until I get back. He says, and when I come again. When I come again. This is an encouragement to any pastor. When I come again, I will repay you. Whatever you, whatever you spend caring for God's people. He says, I'm going, I'm going to take care of it. He said, you just make sure you take care of these people. This man that I brought in here wounded. Because I don't want them to have this broken heart and I bring healing and they get back out here and their heart is broken again. There's only so much you can take. So I, I got to bring you to a place where you are cared for. That's why I grieve for people who have this, this isolation mentality, this island mentality. I'm a believer and I'm out here by myself. That, that's, not, that's not the way God designed it. God designed it for you to be kept in an inn. Hallelujah. God, if God wanted to, God, when God had Noah build the ark, he could have built a bunch of little floaters to have all those animals out there on floaters. But animals on floaters couldn't have fed themselves. Animals on little floaters could not have fed themselves. To be fed, they had to be in the ark. So the reason God puts you in an inn is so you can be kept. Because what the innkeeper's job then is to now keep you, protect you from thieves. The innkeeper is not going to watch over your soul to guard the sheep, to guard the one who was wounded so that you don't suffer the attacks again in your life. How's it all start? Jesus. How's it all end? Jesus. Because whatever he starts, he's going to finish. And he might have found you stripped, wounded, and half dead. But when he gets done with you, you're going to be flourishing again, walking in power and victory. Walking and living as an overcomer. No more broken heart. No more broken life. Dreams that have been shattered are restored. 
hopes that had been dashed are now alive again. And the one who can do it all is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will you stand to your feet today? Today I want to make an appeal. First and foremost, 